Hello, everybody. Welcome to part one of this week's Hummus Tailgate Party. I am your host, Thomas Jackson. There was so much that went on, so much more than I expected that went on uh, week four, Saturday. So I decided to break the pod into two this week. This will be dropping on Tuesday morning. And the week five preview with the very special guest will be coming out on Thursday morning. So uh, yeah, there was just too much to cover all in one episode and kind of busy this week. So needed to break her on up. We're going to look back at week four today and also take a kind of broad scale view of the first four weeks of the college football season, look at the teams who are disappointing, look at the teams that are exceeding expectations a little bit, and kind of hit on each of the main conferences and see how they're shaking out as far as the CFP picture goes. I've been meaning to do this uh, for the past couple weeks and always have it in my notes and somehow just look over and forget, but I am overdue in giving a couple shout-outs to my buddies, Matt and KP. Matt has a newsletter. This is Matt Speakman, of course, uh, former Big J journalist. He has a little side newsletter for fun. He resi- uh, revived the newsletter of the week that he did a couple seasons ago. So you can follow that on, at, at CFB Sicko on Twitter. That's at CFB SICKO. That's Matt's uh, kind of side college football Twitter and the email. You can get the link from that page and it'll come to your inbox every week. Also, my buddy KP, he has the Banjo College Football Podcast, which is a part of the Sports Drink uh, Media Network. So you can follow them at Banjo underscore CFB and Sports Drink. You can find them on Twitter at S-P-R-T-S-D-R-N-K. So check all of those out. Those guys have been super friendly, kind of helping share the word about Hummus Tailgate Party. So I wanted to return the favor. Sorry, it's long overdue, but appreciate both of y'all. So we'll go ahead and get started now. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. So where else could I start other than the little old Clemson Tigers? Lord forgive them. It's time to go back to the old me, uh, says Dabo and Clemson. Uh, Clemson, of course, used to be known for blowing these types of games to lesser opponents. Basically always, that was you know where the term Clemsoning was born from when Clemson would just have a lot of hype going into the season, you know, think like uh, Texas, Texas A&M this year, those types of situations where it's always, you know, there's a lot of steam before the season starts, and then you lose to a lose to a team like NC State that you should be winning. So North Carolina State knocks off Clemson 27-21 in double overtime. This was quite the wild game. Uh, of course, NC State, they, especially more so back in the day, kind of were one of those Cinderella upset teams that you could count on once every two, three, four seasons to knock off a monster opponent. Of course, everybody knows and loves the fat dude swinging his shirt around on the flagpole after they knocked out Florida State. That's the last time NC State had beaten a top 10 opponent, which was in 2012. So the Wolfpack were long overdue and leading into this game. Years past, Clemson would have been a huge favorite and probably just steamrolled them. They were, I say only, which is, you know, funny when they lost, but 
nine or ten point favorite going into this matchup on Saturday afternoon. Uh, the Bahar, where I was watching the game, as some as you saw me tweeting, did not have this game on. Instead, they had Illinois versus Purdue at two different games. I tried to leave to go to the next bar, and they had Iowa State versus Baylor on every single TV, and it wasn't even affiliated with either school, so that was awesome. So, retreated to the first bar and just pulled out my phone and watched the fourth quarter and overtimes on that. So... Didn't see the whole thing, but from what I gather, Clemson's offense clearly continuing to have struggles. Uh, their defense held in there as it was 14-14 at the end of regulation, so really nothing to be ashamed of there, especially because they were missing two defensive tackles, including Brian, I think it's Brees, maybe I'm saying that wrong, left during the game, so they were a little shaken up, but you know, it's football, everybody is a month into the season. They also lost running back Will Shipley at some point during this game, but uh, DJ Uigalele just continued to look very underwhelming. He went 12 of 26 for 111 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. So just, you know, not the stat line you're used to seeing from these Clemson quarterbacks in past years. Um, NC State drove down the field with the time running out in the fourth quarter. And I saw the little ESPN, you know, stat thing pop up on the bottom of the screen saying that NC State's kicker was already 0 for 2 on the day. He had a chance to win the game in regulation for the Wolfpack. And of course, he shanked it after he saw, <laughs> after he, saw he was 0 for 2. I'm way too familiar with kickers putting up that type of stat line. Uh, you knew there was no chance that he was going to be able to do that. But thankfully, the Wolfpack prevailed, uh, getting him 27 to 21 in double OT. I was joking on Twitter. It's just really sad that Clemson, little old small Clemson, has to play teams like North Carolina that have, you know, they're from such a bigger state, a bigger city. I just don't think it's that fair to Dabo and the Tigers. They've dropped all the way to number 25 in the AP poll, which especially if they drop another game, uh, they get Boston College this week, which we'll talk about more in a couple of days. But, you know, Clemson could in the next few weeks drop out of the AP poll entirely, which would be very strange not seeing a number next to their name after how they've been, you know, basically the top, you know, one of the two or three most dominant teams over the past six years. But uh, yeah, Clemson Tigers looking rather pedestrian and like their old selves without a top tier quarterback. It is surprising because uh, both games that DJ played last season, he looked really sharp. Uh, one of those games was at Notre Dame, you know, as much as we joke on them here on this podcast. Notre Dame was a playoff team, and, you know, it's not like he put up a huge stat line against some cupcakes, so uh, really surprising to not see him do any better, but I think they're having a lot of issues with their offensive line. Defense is clearly getting a little banged up. They lost Shipley, like I said, in the NC State game, so Clemson, uh, they are essentially knocked out of the playoff, and that is just really weird to say looking at the calendar, and it's September 27th, and Clemson is done because that has not been the case for the past many, many years, but it is this year. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can get it together down the stretch or if they just go on to a 8-4 and four season, but quite the drop-off. Maybe LSU fans could have some... Uh, consoling words for Clemson Tigers after how they just had their big drop-off last year after a couple big seasons in a row as well. Next, we go to Soldier Field in Chicago, where Notre Dame beat Wisconsin 41-13, to one of the weirder scores you'll probably see all season, because 
with 14 minutes left in the game. Wisconsin led Notre Dame. That's 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter. Wisconsin led Notre Dame 13 to 10. This was your classic, ugly, just disgusting Big 12 or Big 10, sorry, versus, you know, Notre Dame independent. Looks like a Big 10 team. Slugfest, both quarterbacks were just god-awful. Mertz was way worse than Cohn was. Cohn ended up leaving the game with an injury. Um, Just to recap, Jack Cohn, Notre Dame's current quarterback, played at Wisconsin up until last year where he got replaced by Graham Mertz when he was injured and never got his job back. So that has to be nice for Jack Cohn, even though it wasn't pretty and he did get hurt. He still came out with a W over his old Wisconsin squad. But, uh, yeah, to kind of recap the weird fourth quarter, the game was going about how everybody expected low scoring, ugly close up until the 14 minute mark. Wisconsin kicked a field goal to go ahead 13 to 10. And then Notre Dame returned a kickoff back, uh, making the game 17 to 13 in Notre Dame's favor. And, you know, that was like, okay, that's the first big explosive, really exciting play that I've seen all day in this game. Um, and the Irish never looked back. So they started to go on a roll. They scored another time. Wisconsin, after they kicked that field goal to take the lead 13-10, this is what their remaining possessions were. Fumble, missed field goal, interception, pick six, pick six, game over. So uh, the couple of pick sixes obviously just blew the game wide open and that late in the game effectively ended it. But... The Irish move on. Uh, they are undefeated. Wisconsin is 2-2. Two and two. They've been really disappointing this season, mostly because of the piss-poor play of Graham Mertz. He, uh, if you remember last, last year when Cohn got injured, Mertz came in and just absolutely tore up Illinois in the season opener. Wisconsin was thinking that he was their guy for the long future. He was a super high recruited quarterback coming into college, which usually Wisconsin does not get. They get the kind of classic, uh, more old school game managers and have the ground and pound game. And that's usually good enough to get them to a 9-10 win season basically every single year. But Graham Mertz has just been an absolute turnover machine. Ever since that Wisconsin game, he's had a 2-1 to interception to touchdown ratio, which is the other way around of how you want it. And the guy has just really destroyed any hope that Wisconsin has. I have a couple coworkers that went to Wisconsin, so I was asking asking them their thoughts. I thought surely there has to be a backup quarterback that could step in, and you know, even if he's not great, at least give give the program some, just a fresh some fresh blood. And they said no, like it's you know, <laughs> it's got to be that bad if there hasn't been a backup in already. And they said it actually is that bad. So. Hated for the Badgers. Um, I like to pull for them every year, but not their year at all. Notre Dame, you know, I mean, I'm still not sold, but they are 4-0. They get a big matchup with Cincy and South Bend this upcoming Saturday that we'll touch on next week or uh, in a couple days. So, yes, after that, we have the other neutral site game of the weekend. Arkansas beat up on Texas A&M 20-10 in Jerry World. Uh, this was the first time since A&M has joined the SEC that Arkansas has beaten them, which is pretty crazy because uh, all the other SEC fans, I don't have to tell you, this game is, you know, it's always just a weird kind of crazy 
bizarre game that always goes on in that 11 a.m. time slot in late September, early October there in Dallas. But um, Arkansas jumped out to a 17-0 lead in the second quarter, and that was enough to let them essentially coast the rest of the game. Their quarterback, K.J. Jefferson, got hurt, unfortunately, and he tried to return but really couldn't do much, so their backup was playing for most of that second half. And he was able to run the ball with decent amount of success. But, I mean, Arkansas, like, they, they couldn't move the ball all the way down the field. And he was not much of a threat for the passing game. So A&M was able to hold Arkansas enough defensively after, you know, they got they gave, gave up the first 17. So it was clearly too little too late. Arkansas was able to, you know, just kind of run down the clock after that. Uh, so... Good for the Hogs. I mean, they've been probably the most pleasantly surprising team in the entire country this year. Um, They have just been really dominant on both sides of the ball, especially in the trenches, which is kind of the classic hard-nosed style of football you you can imagine from a Sam Pittman coach team. Texas A&M. Uh, as much as I like to rib on them, you know, it is a tough break with them losing their quarterback on the first series of the Colorado game because they are... Not that they had any tests before that, but it couldn't be much worse than it is now with uh, Calzone, Calzot, whatever his name is. <laughs> but, you know, Haynes King, if they can get him back for the Bama game, maybe they'll be able to put up some points and be competitive for, you know, at least a half or something. I don't, I don't know what to expect from him at this point, but if it's Calzone playing, then A&M doesn't have much of a chance against anybody. They go to, go to state next week and... Uh, That'll probably be uh, one that you don't have to catch to uh, on your Saturday full of other way better games. Georgia Tech, I'm not going to lie, didn't see any of this game, but I don't know what the hell happened here because they beat North Carolina 45-22. to uh, North Carolina, you know, with Sam Howell, the presumed possible number one draft pick, and UNC, it was looking like, especially with Clemson down this year, like North Carolina could actually have a shot at winning the ACC, which just seemed out of question a month ago uh, when everyone assumed Clemson would be their normal selves. But they got absolutely stomped. I think how it sounds like he's just trying to press way too much. I won't speak too much on it since I'm kind of talking about out of my rear here. But uh, Georgia Tech, not great. You know, they, they, they recently... Uh, had to switch over from the triple option system, which takes several years to just recruit the different types of athletes and body types that you need to run the more normal football offense. So uh, that's that's a really tough one for the Tar Heels. Their season, any any you know any hopes of them making it to the to the playoff if they weren't already done after losing to Virginia Tech, they certainly are done now. So that's probably the last we'll <laughs> hear of them for the rest of the year. Uh, I guess the ACC is still wide open. I don't even know. It's such a weird, confusing, disappointing conference this year. Baylor beat, speaking of disappointing, Baylor beat Iowa State 31-29. to I actually accidentally found myself in a Baylor bar eating some wings for the first half of this one. They just 
hung around and jumped out to a lead. Iowa State charged back and actually had an opportunity to tie this game up at 31-31 at the very end, but they failed a two-point conversion. They lost. Iowa State is now also firmly out of playoff contention, so I guess that's why they're Iowa State. Bowling Green beat Minnesota, and out of all the shocking outcomes, this was definitely the biggest upset. Bowling Green was a 31-point underdog. They beat Minnesota 14-10. to uh, <laughs> You know, P.J. Fleck a couple years ago was feeling on top of the world, row the boat, blah, 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 and now his team is losing to literally one of the worst teams in the country. I will give a shout-out to Alex Anesia. When we were recording the podcast with Ethan Piles, Alex was sitting in on that and was telling me about how he bet the Bowling Green future for over 1.5 wins on the season, which cashed after four games with their victory over Minnesota. So if you had a Bowling Green over one and a half victories, congratulations. That must have been a pretty exciting one. But good God, what is going on in Minnesota? Lastly, on we've only been going over upsets so far. This is how many have happened. Oregon State beat up on USC. Uh, you know, USC, the game after... Their coach was fired, came out, and took care of business at Washington State. So you thought, okay, yeah, they dropped the game to Stanford. That was really ugly, but maybe they can get back on track, get some momentum with this interim coach. They might be wanting to fire the interim coach as well now because Oregon State beat them in the Coliseum, which looked like it had about 1,200 people in the whole place by the second half. This was the Beavers' first win in the Coliseum since 1960. So, uh, yeah, it's never good when you're, <laughs> when you're uh, busting a record that stood for 60, 61 years. So, yeah, USC, the, their players have probably checked out because there's no excuse for them losing to a far, far uh, inferior talent-wise Oregon State team that had to come, out to come down to Oregon State giving a shit, USC not at all. So those were all the upsets, uh, quite a few, like I said. I was saying last week on the pod and on Twitter as well, you know, like the slate wasn't super sexy on paper looking at it ahead of time, but oftentimes those are the Saturdays where all of this craziness happens and sure enough, we got our fair share of upsets and then there were some games that were almost upsets uh, that didn't quite pull through, but we'll touch on some of those here quickly as well. So my Auburn family listeners... Had a stressful afternoon on Saturday when they beat Georgia State 34-24. to Score makes it sound a lot less close than it really was. Uh, Georgia State basically led for the whole game. Our guy Bo Nix was benched for TJ Finley uh, there in the second half. He led Auburn down the field to try to take the lead on this game uh, in the fourth quarter. And it was a pretty lackluster drive. Auburn got super bailed out by the refs. I could not believe this. I was kind of halfway watching this, halfway watching the Clemson game, because while Auburn was driving the field with less than a minute left, Clemson was, you know, or NC State was trying to kick a field goal to win that in regulation, and that game was going to overtime. So that little 20 minute window of Saturday afternoon was pretty exciting for most of us, as long as you weren't an Auburn or Clemson fan. However, Finley threw a pass way downfield to somewhere on the 10-yard line, and uh, it was called a catch on the field. To me, it looked about as indisputable 
uh, uh, as a no catch as you can get. So I thought they were surely going to overturn it. They did not. I found out that this ended up being the same crew that was doing the uh, the same officiating crew that was doing the Mississippi State versus Memphis game that we discussed in length last week with the blown down punt that wasn't call. So I don't I mean, I'm biased, but I don't know how that catch was not overturned. It looked like it clearly hit the ground when it went through his arms, but Auburn got it nonetheless. Then they had three failed plays before getting to a fourth and goal where Finley kind of ran around like a crazy man, avoiding defenders and then finding an open receiver in the back of the end zone to give Auburn the slight lead. Then Georgia State throwing a desperation ball at the very end, uh, threw it to Smoke Monday, and he returned it for six. So that's where the 10-point victory came from when Auburn was trailing with about 45 seconds left. So... You know, I know everyone likes to act like Alabama's lucky with the refs, and sure we are every now and then. But that shit was uh, that shit was pretty indisputable, if you ask me. But uh, good for Auburn. A win is a win. Oklahoma beating West Virginia sixteen to thirteen. This was another game that West Virginia probably should have won, and they kind of blew it at the very end. So. During the game, Spencer Rattler, everybody's sweetheart, you know, future Heisman winner, uh, the next Oklahoma quarterback up and coming, was booed by his own fans in Norman, and they were chanting the backup quarterback's name. During the game, which if you had told me that like three or four weeks ago, it would have sounded absolutely insane. OU has been having about as bad as off- about offensive troubles as Clemson has been this year. Uh, West Virginia was driving the ball deep in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the ball game, but a snap infraction followed by a 21-yard loss that came from a bad snap put them out of field goal position, so they had to punt the ball to Oklahoma. Oklahoma got their ball, got the ball on their own eight-yard line and drove it all the way down the field, kicked the field goal to win at the very last second. So essentially that one came down to West Virginia's center, uh, kind of screwing everything up for the Mountaineers, although they were running a couple of different quarterbacks in and out of there from what I understand. So I'm sure that, you know, can just change up the kind of natural cadence of the snap count. And I'm sure it was a hostile environment. So that's a tough, tough draw for West Virginia having to lose like that when they should have really had a field goal to win at the very end. But Oklahoma lives to see another day. Iowa, the... Uh, I think they're the number five team in the country. Let's check on that. Indeed, they are number five, which is hilarious after they uh, struggled with Colorado State, who is one of the worst teams in FBS. Colorado State lost to Vandy. Vandy would probably lose to Huntsville High School, and Iowa only beat Colorado State by 10 points. So the Hawkeyes, I mean, (laughs) you know, they're undefeated as of now, but, and I mean, I'm, a, I'm rooting for them because I would love them to make it to the playoff and get matched up against my team because we've all seen that song and dance before. It won't even be a contest. But Iowa, uh, you know, probably hanging on for dear life. They play a really interesting one in Maryland on Friday. So we'll get into that one. I'm excited for that ball game under the lights on Friday night. Michigan State beat Nebraska 23-20 to in overtime. This is one of those games where the line seemed too good to be true. It was only five, I believe, in the Spartans' favor. And uh, after a couple, you know, 
Michigan State, they've had a good start after really struggling the past couple years. Everyone's pretty high on them. Nebraska, I think everybody's been off of ever since the week zero travesty against Illinois. But Nebraska has played way more talented opponents in Oklahoma and Michigan State really close the past couple weeks. So not that really close losses will save Scott Frost's job at this point, but they did push Michigan State probably a lot closer than uh, Michigan State was expecting. So now a couple more notes uh, before we get into kind of the conference and first four-week overview random stuff. Uh, the (laughs) The Ohio State Buckeyes had a linebacker named Kayvon Pope, who in the second quarter of their game this week against Akron, stormed off the field and went into the locker room. And I guess uh, an assistant coach or a trainer or whoever had to go in there and calm him down, bring him back on the on the sideline. Then he got even more upset at something. I don't know if it was a coach or a teammate, but he stormed off the field again. He got onto Twitter and tweeted out, fuck Ohio State, and then quit the team and just left in the middle of the game, which is pretty (laughs) unheard of. Um, I would love to hear more of the nitty-gritty on that, so if I can figure out any of the more uh, juicy details, then we'll talk about it on the pod in a couple days. But you definitely don't see that one every day, and Ohio State never fails to be entertaining on and off the field. Another uh, interesting and unusual, but quite a different on the other side of the spectrum Nick Saban with Alabama's victory over Southern Miss on Saturday just reached 100 straight victories over unranked teams Uh, the last unranked loss those of you who have been paying attention for a long time will remember Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe Saban's very first season in Tuscaloosa in November of 2007 That's the last time that he lost to an unranked team, which, you know, whenever Alabama plays an unranked team, everyone expects Alabama to just curb stomp them, and 90% of the time they do, but doing that 100 times in a row is truly unheard of because, you know, now it's just just so hard to keep that level of consistency with a bunch of 18 to 21-year-olds. Everybody knows how good Saban has been in, you know, big season opener games, the postseason, just, I mean, really, you know, ranked games in general. He has a very good track record, and that's why he's had the success for so long that he has. But doing it 100 times in a row against unranked teams, you know, obviously it's not this stoutest app, uh, competition that Alabama has to play, but 14 years, 100 straight games, that type of consistency, like that is why he's the greatest of all time, just as much as all of his rings, because he wouldn't have all of his rings without that type of consistency, just winning the games you're supposed to, never looking ahead to the next opponent, which is so easy to do, you know, when you have so many good teams, LSU, Auburn, uh, you know, whatever other teams in the SEC are doing so well year in, year out. And uh, so that's just super impressive, and you probably won't see that for a very long time going forward. So now I'm going to hit on all five Power 5 conferences and take a bigger picture view at what has happened as far as their playoff picture goes and just kind of the most surprising and disappointing teams of the year so far. 
So there's two conferences that I would say are in really good shape. That is the SEC and the Big Ten. Uh, really no surprise there, but I guess the Big Ten has been kind of pleasantly surprising. Uh, some plenty of plenty of teams off to a good 4-0 start, and while I don't really think it'll last super long as far as the undefeateds go, it's a better start than we were expecting for several. Uh, and then the Big, tw- Big 12 is kind of lingering in the middle, although definitely trending more towards disappointing overall with Oklahoma and Iowa State not looking like elite contenders this year. And then the Pac-12 and ACC are DEFCON 5, Code Red, just everything is awful. Start with the good and then take a look at the bad. So the SEC, quickly, Georgia and Bama are looking like the two best teams in the entire country, uh, much less the SEC. So it kind of seems on a national scale, it feels like it's those two and then kind of a big drop off. Oregon is number three in this week's AP poll, followed by Oklahoma and Iowa. And I don't really think Georgia or Bama would be terribly concerned with playing any of those teams. Uh, So I think they're kind of in a universe of their own right now, which we expected them to be up in that elite category when the season started, but that elite category has just gone from five or six teams to two teams. Uh, Arkansas and Florida are kind of the next tier to me in the SEC. Arkansas, like I said, has been probably the most surprising uh, team in the whole country. They shocked everybody with their big beatdown of Texas, and then obviously this past week, the big dub against A&M. You know, both of those teams, I don't think either of them are great, especially them catching Texas with a young quarterback early in Sark's tenure and Texas A&M without their starting QB. However, Arkansas would not even be in those games, you know, with bad quarterbacks on the other teams uh, in the past few years. So it's just huge for the Hogs to have a lot of momentum right now heading into their gigantic matchup in Athens this weekend. Uh, Florida obviously almost knocked off Bama and they've taken care of business otherwise. So they still control their own destiny in the SEC East and the cocktail party is looking like it should be a really good one. Kentucky, uh, I expected them to be really good this year. They're one of the few teams that I was hyping up preseason that actually have been good. So (laughs) I appreciate the Cats. Uh, They are undefeated, but they haven't played Florida or Georgia yet. They They get Florida coming to Lexington this weekend, which I am really, really pumped for that game. Uh, I like the Gators. The Gators are probably an eight or nine point favorite, but I think Kentucky will keep it close and make it fun for everyone watching. And the biggest letdown has been Texas A&M. I'm not going to drill them too bad because I think a lot of that really was the quarterback play. And, you know, they could still have a good season uh, if Haynes King can come back, especially by the Bama game, and at least just keep them in that ball game. It'll give them, it should give them some good momentum going forward after that. But Tough break for the Aggies, who I was told many times this would be their year, but I get it. It's early, and their backup quarterback is Cheeks, so I'm not going to rag on them too bad. Next, the Big Ten. Uh, of course, the really up until this past week with Clemson losing, Oregon's victory over Ohio State was kind of the big upset of the season so far. 
it showed that the Ohio State problems on defense were legit and would give them problems the entire season against, you know, actual decent competition. Uh, And it also propelled Oregon from being in that kind of that second tier of playoff contenders to now they're the number three team in the country. Um, So they kind of control their own thing and we'll get to them in a minute. But Ohio State, even after that big loss, like if Oregon continues to take care of business and say, you know, say they finish the season 11 and one, then that's not going to be viewed as a bad loss for Ohio State. They only lost by seven, even though it wasn't like really that close. It wasn't a blowout by any means. Um, the big 10 has the most amount of teams that are undefeated and doing a lot better than I expected them to with Iowa, Penn state, Michigan, and Michigan state all being four and O Penn state probably has the best resume out of that group of teams. Although they've all looked pretty solid, pretty good. I don't think they're like playoff elite level teams, any of them, but just the fact like usually, especially like Michigan has, you know, just kind of gotten the gotten in their own way so much and struggled so much and there's still a long way to go this season they play at camp randall uh this saturday but them and penn state was so bad last year michigan state's been so bad the past couple years Iowa's kind of your perpetual eight and four team so for all those teams to handle their business in the month of september a couple of them like iowa and penn state having you know pretty good solid wins uh over teams that are now kind of plummeting as far as their stock goes but the big 10 is looking very very stout with ohio state you know still i would still take them over any of the rest of those teams but at this point it wouldn't be surprising if any of those other teams beat iowa or each other i just think at this point the big 10 is going to probably beat itself up so that'll be interesting when we get into a playoff discussion here in a little bit uh Wisconsin, easily the biggest letdown. They really should be undefeated right now. I think that they are everywhere besides the quarterback position, better than Penn State and Notre Dame, but Mertz basically blew up their entire season with all of his obsessive turnovers over the past few weeks. So, sorry Badgers, not this year. Uh, Now getting to the uglier side of things, we'll start with the Big 12, who kind of, I think, think is in that three tier as far as the power five power rankings go but um oklahoma is undefeated but they are really just begging to lose they have been in close games all season long against teams that are way less talented than them they started off with a really close i think five point win they beat tulane 40 to 35 and that was really surprising to see that final score but it was like okay, who knows, first game could be weird. And then since then, they've scored like, I don't know, an average of 14 points or something like that each game. Spencer Rattler's getting booed by his home crowd. They are 4-0, but like they're trying really hard to do what Clemson's been doing this year. They just haven't played as good of teams. So as Oklahoma gets more into Big 12 play, it wouldn't be surprising to see them drop a couple because it's they're kind of lucky that they haven't dropped a couple already. They play Texas in a couple weeks, which now looks like I don't even know, but it's probably going to be a lot closer than we thought it would a few weeks ago. Speaking of Texas, them, Oklahoma State, TCU, they've all been all right. Obviously, got te- Texas got embarrassed in Arkansas, but now the Hogs are looking so good that might not even be that bad of a win, uh, especially with how, you know, I'm sure it kind of 
caught them by surprise like it did everybody. But those three teams have been doing okay, and Iowa State is the big letdown. I thought that they would be like playoff caliber or at least New Year six, if not top four. And boy, was I wrong at that. Iowa State coming fresh off a loss to Baylor. So good call on that one, Jackson. Uh, now the bottom of the bottom. So I'd say number four, we're looking at the Pac-12. I was so excited for the Pac-12, like I explained in the preseason preview. Um, Oregon is their only hope. Everybody else is completely shit to bed and lost any chance of the Pac-12, you know, having multiple relevant teams this year. Maybe I'm overreacting just a little bit with, like, UCLA only having one loss and, like, Utah could still get back on track, but, like... I thought that there would be five teams in this conference that would be really good and actually had a chance at winning uh, this league between Oregon, Washington, USC, UCLA, and I'll make that six teams with Arizona State and Utah. And so far, Arizona State only has one loss as well. BYU has really been beating up on this conference. Uh, They beat both Utah and Arizona State, so... BYU's had their way with them, and that's propelled them into the top 10 or 15 uh, this year. Let's see where BYU is real quick. BYU is number 15 in the country at 4-0 with two wins over who I still think are pretty good teams, but maybe not as good as we assumed in the Utes and Sun Devils. So uh, USC and Washington have been just the biggest letdowns in the country, along with Iowa State. And I mean, I guess Clemson at this point, but um, yeah, that conference, Oregon's the only undefeated team. They could have a couple, you know, pretty good nine and three, 10 and two teams and UCLA and uh, Arizona State and maybe Utah that I don't really think so anymore. So they, they could still have some okay squads, but Oregon is probably their only good chance at getting into the playoff as uh, UCLA dropped a game to Fresno State a couple weeks ago, who's not a bad team, but if you're UCLA, definitely had higher hopes in losing to them. And last but least, we have the ACC. Obviously, Clemson has been carrying that league ever since the kind of Jameis Jimbo FSU days fizzled out. Uh, They're Got a couple of really interesting stats from the ACC just telling you how backwards this conference has been. So Clemson, North Carolina, Miami have all been huge letdowns. Nobody thought Florida State would be good, but no one thought that they would be this horrific either, losing to Jacksonville State and posting an 0-4 record so far. Uh, So, I mean, thus far, Wake Forest and Boston College have been the best teams in the ACC, and unfortunately, they're in the same conference, or we could have a serious sicko ACC title game matchup between those two, Uh, but good for them. And so, yeah, a couple stats. There were six teams from the ACC that were in the preseason top 25. Those six teams have a combined record of 13 and 11 so far. And there were eight teams that were not ranked in the preseason. Those eight teams have combined to be 23 and 9 so far. So the ACC is about as backwards as it could possibly be. Uh, Wake Forest and BC, like, they're not playoff teams, but I guess they're, like, (laughs) going to be the good ACC teams this year. I don't even know. I mean, maybe Clemson gets their shit together, finishes 10 and 2, and it's uh, still disappointing, but okay season overall for them. But really not going to bet on that at this point. So BC plays Clemson uh, this Saturday too. 
So that's it for the Power 5 kind of conference recap from the first month of the season. We are done with September, and this next Saturday of games will be in October. So we'll hit a couple quick voicemails. Thanks to our callers, uh, KP and John, JM, for calling in on the on the hotline if anybody else wants to join in on that the number is 205-478-7710 yes that is my personal cell phone number because i'm doing this podcast for fun and i don't have any other uh ways to record voicemails so if i answered the call when you're trying to get a message in just tell me to go away leave you alone and i'll let you ring back through all the way next time so thank you all for uh, calling in, leaving a couple good good questions on the message messages, and we'll do the couple voicemails, couple segments, and round this bad boy out. Oh yeah, also I don't really know how to do the voicemails on this audio software that I record on, so I'm playing, <laughs> connecting my phone to my Bluetooth speaker and playing the voicemails over the speaker, so I hope it doesn't sound too bad, but that's what we're working with right now, so bear with me, and if anybody has any uh, technical advice, it would be much appreciated, so <laughs> bear with me on this one. Hi, this is Kevin Paul. I'm calling from Austin, Texas. First time, long time. Uh, one of the main main question here was about Nick Saban. Um, does Slade Bolden have his family held hostage? Uh, did one of the freshman receivers uh, do something to a family member? Uh, I'm just trying to understand how 18 keeps getting reps while everyone else just kind of sits there and rots on the bench. I'll hang up and listen. Uh, thanks. Love the show. Keep doing your thing. Great question here by KP. Thanks for calling in. Uh, <laughs> I know you're not the only Bama fan speculating the, the reason for all of the playing time for number 18 Slade Bolden. Uh, he's also been returning punts uh, this year, which has been really... Uh, you know, you would think that we'd have someone better on the team. And I think maybe after this past game... Oh, shit. I don't know if y'all just heard that, but an Affleck ad featuring Coach Nick Saban himself just started playing on one of my tabs in the background during that answer, so maybe Coach wants me to shut the hell up and let him do the coaching. Uh, regardless, <laughs> speaking of Coach Saban, KP was wondering, uh, is there some type of blackmail going on? What's the deal? Does does he have him, you know, someone held hostage? Uh, is, is this the reason for all the playing time for number 18? I w must admit this voicemail was left before the Southern Miss game where it looked like some of the uh, special teams returning responsibilities were handed over to better suited athletes on the team. However, I think that KP's question would make a lot of sense just given the amount of pure receiving time that Bolden has had this year. Um I don't know with all of the, you know, the recent Jordan Battle stuff, Battle kind of re-exposing Saban's affinity for these nuts jokes. Maybe, you know, Saban has accidentally let some stuff fly, some jokes around, uh, around Bolden. Maybe they aren't terribly PC. You know, Saban's pretty old nowadays, so you could used to say some jokes back in the day that would fly that probably wouldn't now. So maybe Slade had caught him on, you know, caught him on uh, 
video or on recording somehow and said, Hey coach, if you don't let me play, then I'm going to expose all of these. And whether it's the D's nuts jokes or who knows what else from, you know, back in his West Virginia glory days, he very well could have some, uh, some audio or video recordings over coach Saban that he's holding him hostage with essentially for playing time. Uh, longtime friend of the program, Matt Speakman was tweeting, I believe, a couple weeks ago that he thinks that Slade might have some nude images of Coach or his family, which could be the result for all of the playing time. So, I don't know. Uh, Both of those probably sound more realistic than him just being better than everybody else in our receiving room. I think we'll probably see him start to get weeded out a little bit as the season goes on, as Williams and JoJo Earl kind of come into their own in the program. But the question, there have been a lot of people asking, and I appreciate KP bringing that onto the show. So, We'll, uh, we'll keep our eye on that. If anyone gets any rumors or other uh, interesting speculation, feel free to let us know. <laughs> hey, it's uh, John from Tuscaloosa calling back in. Um, so uh, after, you know, this week, Clemson's second loss, last week Ohio State's loss, it look, it's looking like the playoff is going to be uh, shaking up a lot this year. I'm just calling in to ask you uh, who your dark horses thanks john for calling in again uh we had to answer jm's voicemail last week on twitter because i kind of messed up the timing of this whole thing and announced the voicemail segment after i had already recorded last week's pod so just a quick quick uh housekeeping note on all of that i usually record the pods on tuesday night so if you have any voicemails that are kind of time sensitive like jm's question about he was asking me what i thought about the lsu minus 2.5 against mississippi state thread that's last week but it was after i had already recorded that podcast try to get the voicemail in by like tuesday afternoon so i can answer it but if it is a question more like jm's last one with the playoff picture dark horses going forward that I could kind of answer on like you know the last episode or this one and it wouldn't make too big of a difference although it kind of now does with Clemson losing however uh, then you can just send those in at any time so anyway back to the question thanks for calling in again JM Uh, and sorry I told him that I thought LSU minus two and a half was a trap and it ended up covering by a half point although I think he ignored my advice and cashed on that anyway so I hope you did at least because that was uh well it wasn't even that close of a game but LSU still covered after state's garbage time touchdown so I hope nobody had the state the state side on that one but uh yeah just kind of looking at the AP 25 top 25 do y'all selves a favor and go through and just look at it after this week because it's really weird now with Clemson being so far down at number 20 no 19 okay uh, I said that wrong earlier I must have saw some other poll this is the AP um oh, this is the coaches poll Jesus okay I was right AP is Clemson number 25 so, sorry, I was looking at the coaches poll. We're on the AP now. So, he asked about dark horses. If I had to go 
with some playoff teams right now. I would say I feel the best about Alabama, Georgia, and Oregon, which is not an interesting answer because those are one, two, and three in the poll. Um, If Cincinnati counts as a dark horse, I think that they have a really good path with Notre Dame just having beat Wisconsin. Notre Dame is number nine in the AP poll, and Cincinnati is number seven, and Cincinnati plays in South Bend this upcoming Saturday. So that's going to be a huge one, and if Cincinnati can get past then, let's take a look at their... They don't have any ranked teams for the rest of the season after Notre Dame. They have already beaten Indiana, who granted... They have not been looking good this year. People thought that they were going to be better than they've ended up being. But Cincinnati had a bye week this past Saturday, so they're going to be well-rested and ready for Notre Dame. And obviously, we've talked about their coach, Luke Fickle, when discussing the USC job. He's one of the hottest coaches in the country. So if they can get past the Irish, which they are a two-and-a-half-point favorite right now, at least the last time I checked, I think yesterday that could have moved by now, but it's going to be, it's going to be a, you know, as far as the spread goes, less than a field goal game. I'm going to be on Cincinnati for that one. I can already tell you because they're good. I think Notre Dame just beat, you know, a really crappy Wisconsin team and they haven't done much of anything. They barely got by Florida state. So I'm going to be on the Bearcats because I think they're better. And I just can't bring myself to trust Notre Dame in a big game like this. So I think Cincinnati, honestly, and like it's hard with the group of five teams because they've never made it before. However, with them being really good last year, putting up a pretty good fight against Georgia in the uh, Peach Bowl, that was it would be different if Cincinnati was just coming onto the scene kind of on the national picture this year. But with them being good last year, like People are expect people know who they are, people know their coach, people know their quarterback, and people know that they're good. And that was the case before week one even kicked off this season. And they're actually, with all of the inconsistencies among top teams elsewhere, they're one of the teams that has just taken care of business pretty quietly so far this year. They struggled in the first half against Indiana. And other than that, they ended up coming back winning by two touchdowns at Indiana. Um, but like they've done everything they're supposed to. They've beat a couple bad teams. They've played very handily, which most teams can't say, even the big dogs at this point. So I'm going to go with Cincinnati as my favorite dark horse. And like, I don't know if, you know, they count as a dark horse, but their group of five and group of, group of five has never made it. So I'm rooting for them. I hope that they can get past Notre Dame because if they can, then it's going to take a huge upset to probably keep them out of it. And this is the perfect season for them to already be on people's radars, for them to have a lot coming back from last year's really good team because Clemson blew it. You know, we talked about at the beginning of the season, that kind of top tier of teams. And right now Cincinnati looks better than basically all of them, except for Alabama and Georgia, you know, maybe Oregon, if you want to make that argument. Um, Although Oregon didn't look very hot against a horrible Arizona team last week. So I think if there is a year for a group of five team to get in Cincinnati, you know, I mean, let's do the damn thing. A couple of other teams um, that I'll hit on a little bit quicker. Well, three SEC teams still control their own destiny. Arkansas, Florida, and Ole Miss. Arkansas is number eight. Florida is number 10. Ole Miss is number 12. Arkansas, Ole Miss undefeated. Florida is three and one with the loss to Bama. They all, like, 
you know, with only one loss, Florida can still win the rest of their games and win the East. And Arkansas and Ole Miss are both undefeated with, you know, their fate in their hands. I think out of those teams, I'd say Arkansas will pro- – I don't expect them to beat Georgia this week. I think their offense is going to limit them. I'm kind of horrified of Ole Miss just because of how the Bama game went last year with them. Um, their offense is amazing. Corral seems to have matured a lot from some of his really like kind of Jameis Winston-esque style of games last year where he might throw five touchdowns or he might throw five interceptions and sometimes maybe both. But I think he he seems to have come a long way. He's the freaking Heisman favorite right now. Where I, I won't get too much into that. But those three teams, you know, I mean, I don't think anyone. Maybe Florida was kind of a dark horse before the season, but definitely not Arkansas and Ole Miss. They were too far fetched. Um, I don't know if Ole Miss can beat Bama this week or Florida can beat Georgia, then they're both going to have a pretty compelling argument, even if they end up with one loss in the regular season. But they're going to have to get out of the divisions because it's looking like Alabama and Georgia are on their way to the playoffs right now. So to get a different SEC team in than one of those, and this is assuming two teams get in from the SEC, um, they're going to have to unseat Georgia or Bama for one of those spots in the title game. So... Those three teams, all going to be really interesting. And lastly, I feel like I have to touch on BYU. Um, they're probably the most dark horse out of all these teams I've touched on. You know, they they beat Utah, who I thought before the season would be a dark horse for the playoff. And I thought it had a really good chance at winning the Pac-12, which I guess they still do. Although they just haven't played up to expectations, and they also beat Arizona State, who's super talented. So BYU, since they've scheduled so many Power 5 teams, they have an actual shot at running the table. And with it being kind of a weird year, you know, if a couple more teams that are playoff contenders get upset and have a bunch of one-loss teams up towards the top, BYU could sneak their way in, possibly. I think Cincinnati's more likely to do it, but... I mean, BYU, like they're looking even better than they were last year with Zach Wilson. Let's take a look at their schedule super quick. Oh, yeah. Okay. this <laughs> We're going to be keeping an eye on BYU because since they, you know, unlike most Power 5 teams, they just like schedule so many, um, so many Power 5 teams to kind of pepper all throughout their season, which is going to give them a lot of respect in the playoff committee's eyes, that strength of schedule, although it for sure will be a tougher road to travel. And I honestly always forget this, but they're independent, so that's why they can schedule so many Power 5 schools. But coming up, they have, uh, in a couple weeks, Boise State, who's that would be a really good win. They get them at home. They play at Baylor, who they can definitely beat. Washington State, very beatable. Virginia, probably be a good game, but beatable. They round off the season with a couple cupcakes, and then USC, like <laughs> USC, certainly beatable. So BYU, we'll keep an eye on them. So the kind of trio of second-tier SEC teams right now with Ole Miss, Florida, and Arkansas, they all controlled their own fate. And just with the strength of their schedule, if they were to knock off an Alabama, a Georgia, you know, whatever, then they, they would absolutely be right there in the playoff conversation. But also... BYU and Cincy, you know, it feels like with all the craziness of the past couple weeks so far this season, if a non-Power 5 team is ever going to get in, then this this would kind of be the year. So 
Um, yeah, keep an eye on Cincy and BYU, especially Cincy this upcoming week with Notre Dame, because if they win that, then hell, you know, it, it, it would be a pretty easy cakewalk to 12-0 and after that. So root and form, it'd be fun to watch. couple segments, and we'll wrap it up. So the hot seat of the week presented by Lee Corso, uh, tier one, where our t- seats are actively hot. We have Mike Norvell has the top of tier one with Florida State off to a unbelievable 0-4 start. Uh, last week, we discussed how Willie, Willie Taggart was fired at, with a 9-12 record. Now, Mike Norvell would need to finish the season 6-2, the remaining eight games, to tie the record at which Willie Taggart was fired with. Um, it was kind of brought to my attention from listening to a couple other pods that Florida State might just not have the cash right now to do this because no one's going to their games. Obviously, last year was a huge wash for everybody. Didn't stop some schools from uh, firing their coaches, obviously, but Florida State, their donors might not be as (laughs) eager to pony up. And like we said with Ethan a few weeks ago, you can't be firing coaches every two years and expect anything to get better. Although, my God, I don't think we thought it would be this bad either. Uh, Scott Frost, year four, Nebraska's off to a hot two and three start. Uh, We've discussed him at length, and they had, kind of like last week, a pretty good close loss to a pretty good team, but year four close losses aren't going to cut it. So the Cornhuskers still struggle to get over 500. Uh, tier two, we're going to kind of keep an eye out on these. So Coach O saved his ass by beating Mich- Mississippi State, although they only beat him by three, and that's the worst team in the SEC West. So we're still going to be talking about him. Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech lost to. Uh, West Virginia a couple weeks ago, and then they beat they only beat Richmond by 11 this week. So definitely not a thrilling vic- victory for the Hokies, but I guess they'll take just about anything at this point. Uh, who's not back of the week? Presented by the Texas Longhorns. This is Florida State once again, and we're going to keep doing them until they win a damn game. 0-4 for the Knolls and USC back so soon. Yeah, we thought things might get a little bit better with the interim coach, but no, they just got beaten by Oregon State for the first time in the Coliseum since 1960. Way to go, Trojans. And a couple more, the tweet of the week. This one goes out to our guys at the Banjo College Football Podcast, who we discussed earlier. Follow them at Banjo CFB, or that's Banjo underscore CFB. Yes, Banjo underscore CFB on Twitter. Um, here we are. So they <laughs> they tweeted out. I guess Clay Travis has a game day esque show where he goes to one game a week, and uh, this was has been a huge hit so far. They tweeted out the banjo guys tweeted out Saturday morning. One of them logged on, and there were an entire eighty people watching that show. Which you can tell since it's not on like TV. Or maybe it is, but yeah, on whatever you know website they were watching it on, you can see how many people on like YouTube that are streaming a live event at the same time, and there were only 80 viewers. Uh, and so the the banjo guys tweeted out, Clay Travis college football preview show has 80 viewers, eight zero. The man has one million followers, and he's doing banjo numbers. I'd be lying if I said HTP is quite up to 80 lovely fans at this point. But if everybody told like 
0.6 people each to listen to the show, we could be out doing the Clay Travis College Football Preview Show. But you know what they say, all of his fans are the silent majority. So, you know, there's there's uh, strength in numbers there, I'm sure, as there always are with that crowd. The helmet sticker of the week, we have Devin Leary, the NC State quarterback. He went 32 for 44 with 238 yards and all four of NC, NC State's touchdowns, two of which came in overtime to upset little old Clemson and Dabo. Poor guys. So... Good job to the Wolfpack. It looks like it was just a game that they were destined to lose after their kicker missed the game winner and went 0 for 3 on the day, but they prevailed. Uh, crowd rushed the field, and it was an awesome scene there in North Carolina. So that does it for part one. I'm glad we wrapped this up into or broke it off into two parts because we're right at an hour. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll be back in a couple days with a very, very special guest doing all of our week five previews. It is a ginormous slate, and I try not to do too much of the the gambling and Vegas stuff on this show because I know a lot of people don't really care at all, but we will be focusing a little bit more on that with this upcoming preview. So if that's something you're into, I hope you really enjoy it because we're going to be doing a lot of research between now and then to find the best spots on the day and everybody wins some money together. So thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back on Thursday morning. Bye.